Welcome back for another episode of the LFDC Podcast. My name is Pastor Jesse Smout, and I'm glad you're with us today. Today's sermon's from January 31st, and it's an introduction to the book of Ephesians. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to um, get into your word, get into your um, your Bible, God, and get into your, your word that you wrote for us and left for us, infallible, beautiful, perfect in every way, God. I pray that we can learn something today, grow in it, grow from it, and uh, glorify you and glorify your kingdom because of it. Father, I pray for each person that is watching at the church or um, at their home, Father, wherever they are, that you are with them and that you give them their rhema word for today, God, whatever you are trying to speak to them individually, that you will be with them and for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I debated this week on what to start. The plan was to have agape service this week and then start in Ephesians next week, and that was going to be where I remained. However, uh, things changed, and so I prayed about it, and I actually decided yesterday to just get into Ephesians. And so I did a lot of studying yesterday on the history of Ephesus um, and the book of Ephesians and Pauline writing and Pauline style. And so we're looking into that now, and that is where we're going to be. Unfortunately, we're not going to get as deep into the passage as I'd like, but that's because there's so much context we need to cover before we get there. And now the reason context is important is because without proper um, understanding of the context, you can't properly uh, exegese it. The uh, passage or exegesis, if you've heard of that, which uh, that's what we want to do. And so Paul has one main desire for the Ephesians, for you to know Christ and for your position in him all of life, according to Paul, flows from this reality. So the purpose of Ephesians, um, I have this written down, is for you to know who Jesus Christ is and your position in him, right? So that's the point of Ephesians is who is Jesus and what is my purpose in him? And all of life, according to this, that, that's everything you need to know. And so that's the reality of I'm aware of Christ and I'm aware of myself and who I am in Christ. And so that's the point of Ephesians. I did want to read some uh, quotes about Ephesians that famous uh, theologians or philosophers have said. So Samuel Taylor Coleridge, who was a poet, he was a, a critical poet, uh, and he critiqued work, and he was a philosopher and a theologian, called it the divinest composition of man. F.F. F. Bruce, who was a British Bible scholar, referred to it as the uh, quint, quint, quint <laughs> I shouldn't quote words that I struggle saying, but lately, especially on live, I really struggle with words. Quintessence, I'm just going to say it that way, of Paulinism. The Catholic scholar Raymond Brown contends that only the Romans could match Ephesians as a candidate for exercising the most influence on Christian thought and spirituality. Uh, Klein Snodgrass, professor of uh, biblical literature in the U.S., has written the, uh, that pound for pound, Ephesians may very well be the most influential document ever to be written. And he is actually a professor of biblical literature, um, or was. The, uh, and then also John McKay, he is a theologian as well. This letter is pure music. What we read here is truth that sings, doctrine set to music. And so Ephesians is probably one of the best um, books in the New Testament uh, through study and petition, I really do believe uh, if you're to really get into Ephesians, you'd see that it is uh, different than a lot of other Pauline writings, and it 
it's just, uh, and we're going to get into that, but it's, it's a really incredible book, so I want you to be excited about that. And so uh, Ephesians is a tremendous book to study if you desire to find a firm foundation in your spiritual life, long for greater intimacy with Jesus Christ, seek to have greater unity with the body of Christ, the church, feel unworthy of the gospel but want to experience its power in your daily living, want to know your spiritual position as a believer, want to understand what Christ did upon the cross on your behalf, desire to live the victorious and triumphant Christian life, need to be equipped to fight the spiritual war that we are all engaged in. Uh, Ephesians may be one of the more important books, epistles specifically, to read in the New Testament. So an, an essential part of exegesis is determining the genre of the literature you are studying. And so many of you will know what I'm talking about. So, but the rules for interpreting um, scripture is determined by the genre slash style of writing. And so we interpret, as an example, we interpret the Gospels different than we interpret the book of Psalms. We interpret historical books like Genesis and Acts in the New Testament different than we would interpret uh, a book of wisdom like Proverbs. And so you have to understand what you are studying and the genre, the style, the language, even the parables. Some argue that though they're the Gospels, that they actually have certain elements of different writing and different um, styles of, of teaching. And so you have to understand even those um, nuances within the gospel to properly um, get into and interpret the scripture. And so you've got gospels, historical, you've got the epistles, which are sometimes called letters, and revelation in the New Testament, which is uh, prophetic, and you have prophetic books in the Bible as well. So for the most part, um, epistles are compromised of paragraphs of argument or exhortation. And so when you're looking at an epistle or a letter as Ephesians, it's usually uh, sections of argument or exhortation or correction. And so a lot of these letters are in that manner. Uh, here the exegete must learn above all else to trace the flow of the writer's argument in order to understand any single sentence or paragraph. And so one of the worst things you can do is just take one single verse and apply it to whatever you want, right? One of the most uh, misused and uh, under understood uh, passages is not only Matthew 7, 1, but also Philippians 4, 13. So Matthew 7, 1 being judge not, lest ye be judged. That's not what it's actually saying. If you read the entire context, it's not saying don't judge or you're going to be judged. Um, it's saying judge righteously and uh, you want to be judged righteously, correct? So it, it's interesting when you get into the little nuances, you have to understand that you can't just take a single verse and, and make it be what you want it to be. Philippians 4.13 is the same way. Um, for we know that uh, through Christ, um, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sorry, guys. Uh, so you got verses like that, and that's not saying you can just accomplish anything you desire. It's actually... Paul's going through some some different types of tribulation there, and so it's a different type of language. It's not always about victory and conquest. Sometimes it's about suffering and surviving. So, um, epistles, so goes the argument, or carefully crafted artistic and literary works intended for a wider public. So when Paul was writing these epistles or letters, he knew that they were not 
just for one person, but that the one person would receive it and then it would be passed along because many people needed to hear what he was saying to this particular person or church or etc. Right? So with a with a view of being preserved per, for posterity, letters on the other hand were hurry, hurriedly sent to the address uh, specific situations, sent to address specific situations or problems and were not intended by their author to be refined. So when you look at um, an example is Corinthians, okay? Corinthians was uh, technically a letter or epistle written to the church in Corinth. The reason there are two and they're long is because he had a lot of correcting to do and he had a lot of things he needed to essentially uh, teach them and get out of them. So you look at books like that, you look at books of Timothy, very personalized, uh, his ment mentee, he was writing a very specific letter to Timothy, but with a wider scope knowing it would go beyond Timothy. And so Paul wrote all of these letters and epistles with that in mind, knowing this is for them, but every church that's a Gentile church, that's not Jew, I mean, hopefully some Jews come to know Christ, as Paul says in Romans 9 and 10, but essentially um he knew they were they were all going to be passed along now the thing that's cool about ephesians and maybe i'm getting ahead of myself but ephesians is different and and we're going to get into why uh sometimes the distinction can be taken too far though i do want to note that sometimes getting getting too caught up in hurried letters written to address a problem versus letters that paul took his time with and were more exhorting um you can take that too far Yes, Paul's letters were occasional, um, depending on the situation, but they're not always private, if that makes sense. So a brief overview of Ephesus, uh, the city in which Ephesians is written to. That's actually something we're going to get into as well, because there's debate on that. But uh, we had the Greek goddess of Artemis, or Roman goddess of Diana. They are the same um, and they were acknowledged as the same. Essentially, they were the, the goddess of the hunt. Um, they were often uh, pictured with a bow, a, a moon, a crescent moon or crescent moon, um, shooting a bow and arrow, the hunt. They were also known as, or she was known as the goddess of fertility. And so that was the predominant religion in Ephesus, was this uh, worship of the Greek goddess. And now something interesting I did, I actually studied... Uh, this history and Diana and Artemis a little bit, I was always under the impression that women were the primary religious stakeholders, priests, leaders of this particular religion, but that's actually just more um, assumed than anything. That's actually not entirely true. And so there were men and women priests and men and women in this religion. And yeah, she was a women goddess, but it was everyone liked her. Everyone wanted her. And she was... Uh, seen as the goddess of fertility. And so during this time in Ephesus, you have to realize that they were, I mean, this sounds like a medieval game. I think of like a game like Skyrim, if anyone's played that, but you've got like amulets, you've got charms, you've got different little things, little uh, trinkets, uh, if you will, uh, that people would wear to ward off evil spirits. Uh, and so essentially mystics and magic and, and those types of things uh, or very real in Ephesus, very, uh, very real. Uh, Ephesus was considered the chief city of Asia Minor, and so we have to understand Ephesus is not 
uh, in Greece. It's not in, it's actually in modern day Turkey. It was in uh, Asia Minor. So when we're writing about Ephesus, I mean, it was under Roman and Greek um, command for a lot of, a long, a long time, but it was technically Asia Minor and that's modern day Turkey. It's along the uh, coast. And get this, now this, this, shock, this shocked me a little bit, but the number of population or people, the lowest count they had during this time, during Paul's time when writing uh, Ephesians, was 250,000 people. That was the lowest count they had um, for Ephesus at the time. And so 250,000 population, to put that into perspective, Ogden is about 90,000 people. Salt Lake is about 200,000 people. And so if you combined Salt Lake and combined Ogden, that would probably be comparable to what Ephesus had. So it's not a small city. It's not a little thing. Um, there was probably multiple house churches, and the gospel was growing exponentially in Ephesus. And uh, we're going to get into the history a little bit more, but that's a lot of people. I actually did not realize it was that many people. There is some debate, some minor debate, over who the author is. Now, this is an interesting debate. I don't necessarily agree with it because the author is identified as Paul two times during Ephesus or during Ephesians. However, there is debate because it only has a 90% similar writing style to his other epistles, which that 10% discrepancy bothers some. Uh, I do find it more likely, though, that Paul deviated from, from his normal uh, literature style 10% than someone imitated Paul 90%. But the general consensus of those that do not think Paul wrote it is that Paul had an understudy, a pupil. There are a few names they name, but I'm not going to get into that because I don't agree with it. But the essential um, belief is that Paul had an understudy and he asked him to write it on his behalf and take his time and, and try to copy him and essentially was mentoring him how to write a letter to a church, an, you know, an exhortation. And so that's the general consensus of people that don't think it's Pauline work. However, I do believe it to be Paul. Um, I just do. And so one chapter I do think is important to get into, but we're not going to be able to read the whole thing, um, is Acts chapter 19. This is actually about two and a half years of Paul's time in Ephesus. Um, and so when you see read Acts chapter 19, it's actually about Ephesus, which is the book in which we're talking about. So it represented about two and a half years of his ministry. It talks about the great goddess of Artemis. Um, and so 11 through 17 is what I put in my notes to read to you. So this gives you an example, some context of what the city is like. And God was doing extraordinary miracles. Now this is Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs uh, or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Keep in mind, during these times, they believed in evil spirits, they had ambulance, they had all sorts of things to protect them and ward off evil spirits, um, and so they're doing whatever they can to get whatever Paul has. Uh, then some of the uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke uh, the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims seven um, sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this. The sons of Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus and I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit le leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, 
so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Okay, that's a really interesting picture. Uh, this demonized individual says, I know Christ, I know Paul, who are you? Overtakes them and then they actually run out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And so everyone heard about this particular story about this demonized man and what he did. And he said, I know Jesus, I'm a, I know Paul, but who are you? And so people were like, wow, this Jesus, this Lord Jesus Christ is the real deal. They exalted him and they extolled him and said, this is the real deal. And so if you read all of Acts chapter 19, I considered it as our prelude, but I don't think we'll have enough time to read the whole thing. It does also get into the early part of Acts chapter 19 gets into his debates and, and what he did every day to essentially uh, combat and, and argue for the gospel, tried to to convince people of the gospel message. And that's why I think apologetics is a, is a good thing. But essentially, he was apologetically debating for the sake of the gospel. And he was there about two and a half years. This incident happened, and the other incident that happened was the uh, the men getting carried away into the, uh, the arena. And uh, that is like a gladiator type of arena. But more than that, it served politically... Um, a lot of different things. It wasn't like the Roman ones you picture with the huge walls on the sides and everyone looking down into a circle. It's actually still um, up and at, at it today, but it's a half circle along a mountainside. It could hold about 25,000 people, 10% of the population of Ephesus. And so uh, there was some, some, uh, some people that wanted to uh, kill some of the Christians and Paul because they were, according to their own opinion, blaspheming Diana and Artemis. Um, however, that was thrown out and the, they were told to stop rioting and they were going to... Anyway, that's the second portion of Acts chapter 19. So something to keep in mind when we study a letter, an epistle by Paul, is that it's not meant or intended to present a complete Christian theology. That's why the entire Bible is needed. However, it does give you a picture, a glimpse, and that's why one letter to one church wasn't everything. Every letter was supposed to go to everyone. Um, most of these are pastoral works, meaning Paul applied his theology to specific problems within the churches he wrote to. And so you look at First Timothy and the woman issue, very specific to Timothy, very specific to their situation. However, there's a lot of debate on that. I'm not getting into that today. But Paul applied his theology to specific problems within that particular church. Um, examples, Galatians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, um, Philippians, those are all very specific. Uh, the two Pauline letters that appear to present something of a general Pauline theology, meaning not addressing specific situations, circumstances, issues, problems, but just a general, almost more of just a, here's what I want to give you, not what I need to give you, um, are Romans and Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is undoubtedly the least occasional of all Paul's letters, as we spoke about. It, it is not addressing a specific situation, a specific um, circumstance within a specific body. It's actually just saying, here's what I want you to know. Uh, whereas most of the others, like Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, it's saying, here's what you need to know. I need you to get this. I need you to understand this. Ephesians is, here's what I want for you to understand. 
So Ephesians is, is probably more eloquent and probably deviates from Paul's normal writing or the Pauline letters. Um, it deviates from that because it's, it's less need to know. He probably took more time with it. It's, I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. And so it does not have that same sense of um, urgency and response to a crisis as the other letters do. Um, and so there's three possible time frames for authorship. While he was in Ephesus, being Paul, while he was in Ephesus, uh, 55 AD, uh, 56 AD is when they assumed the riot at the theater happened. Uh, it's possible he wrote it in 58 AD in Caesarea. It's possible he wrote it in 60 AD um, in Rome. But I think the moral of it uh, is that he had time, it was less urgent, it was more poetic than a lot of his other writings, letters, epistles. Um, and I, I think that's really important to know. And so one last thing that I thought was interesting in my study on the history of Ephesus and Ephesians was the armor of God. So there was actually, at the time, a very popular Ephesian wrestler who was unbeatable in the ancient Olympics uh, because he wore um, this amulet of Ephesian letters around his ankle. And so this, the rumor was, or the story is in, in Ephesus history and in, in, in the, the history of these Olympics, essentially, was that there was this unbeatable man. But the the rule makers or the rule keepers, I don't know what you would call them per se, but they discovered about his amulet around his ankle. Uh, they felt like he was cheating. He was using witchcraft or some kind of you know, something. And so they removed it, and then he actually proceeded to lose three consecutive matches after being unbeatable, never lost. Uh, so that, that was an interesting thing. And so a lot of people actually suggest that the allusion in Ephesians 6 to the armor of God, which we cling to now as modern-day Christians, he was actually using this example of this writer that, or this wrestler in Ephesus to kind of say, hey, he had this amulet around his ankle, but you're going to have you know, the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to have um, the, the feet of the preparation of the gospel. You're going to have the belt of truth, the, the shield of faith, right? All of these different things. And so a lot of people believe that it was a spiritual representation of something that was very real to them at the time. Like that was big news, this, this Ephesian wrestler who lost three in a row after he was, um, after his amulet was removed. So the illusion could have proved um, an effective way of communicating to the new converts, the Christian converts, that they should no longer put on um, the Ephesian letters um, as this guy wore the, the amulet, uh, a.k.a. don't turn to magic, but should put on the armor of God, uh, the power of God, putting on Christ. Furthermore, they would also understand in a fresh way that the struggle in which they have been enlisted as Christians is against supernatural powers. In fact, the very supernatural powers who were summoned to their aid by the Ephesia um, or Ephesus are now attacking opponents which they need to resist. And so it's saying, don't partake in that, partake in this. And so that is our history, that is our context. Uh, hopefully you learned something new in that. We are going to jump into the first chapter, only a couple verses, uh, and then we're actually going to close. So in chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to get into this. Uh, but it's important to know all of this historical information, this background to Ephesus, the debate over the authorship, how this letter is different. I think the most important thing for you to understand from this 
uh, is that this was a, I want you to know this, not I need you to know this. He wasn't de dealing with a specific uh, problem in the church. It was just saying this is this is information I'd like for you to know. And so that's why Ephesians is probably uh, touted or toted as one of the uh, most popular epistles, one of the most poetic, well-written, well-spoken theological masterpieces of the New Testament. Um, I've always liked Ephesians. And then when I reread it, uh, I realized, I was like, I might need to go through this with the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's it's like so deep. And if we really get into it, it's just, there's so much profound theology and profound understanding in it. And I found it important, especially for the church to understand who we are, who Christ is, what our role is with him. And then also the church, it talks about the church. So it's, it's an important piece and I, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited to go through it with you guys. And so in chapter one, verse one, you see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Most all of Paul's introductions are something like this. Um, it never says, I'm an apostle um, by my own strength. I'm an apostle um, by choosing to ask for this job. Um, it's not by human will or exertion, but only by God's grace and God's will. And right, so he didn't aspire for the job. He didn't apply for the job. He sought no human nomination and looked to no human confirmation. He just said, by the will of God, this is what I am. And you actually see a lot of that language in Romans as well. Uh, it's very different from the language, and, and something I just want to briefly mention, it's very different from the language you experience today with people. It's like, oh, I'm a pastor. Like, I trained my whole life to be a pastor. Or, I, I, I'm a prophet. I trained my whole life to be a prophet. I pray a lot. I, I really meditate on, on God. I get a lot of dreams and visions, so I'm a prophet. Um, we try to essentially... Um, quantify and enlist the reasons we are what we are rather than just saying by the will of God this is what I am um, and that's how I try to look at pastor, uh, pastoral role or being a pastor is just saying it's only by the will of God that I'm even a pastor it's it's not by my will or my strength or my endurance or my tenacity it's none of those things God gave me certain characteristics and abilities only for his will and his purpose and his glory uh, and so I think that's important to know is when you really study Paul's writing it's always by the will of God it's never by his own strength it's never by his own accomplishments it's never by he in fact does not really enlist himself as a very good guy he actually calls himself the chief of all sinners toward the end and so we have to understand that he doesn't believe him to be an apostle because he deserves it or because he accomplished something or he applied and got the job he said simply because it's the will of god and so that's the first thing uh to the saints who are in ephesus now i'm going to pause here because one of the most profound interesting studies about ephesus in the book of ephesians is that it's not actually addressed to Ephesus. Now bear with me. In the original manuscripts, it does not have the word Ephesus. It does not say at Ephesus. It actually says to the saints who are um, and are faithful. And it's actually got a little bit of a space. And so I looked into it. And so there's actually a lot of debate on why it was like that. Some people say, well, if it wasn't a Pauline letter and his mentee was writing it, maybe they were gonna fill in the blank to each church they sent it to since it was more of a letter about, here's what I want you to know, not what I need you to know. However, not a lot of um, Ephesian letters survived. And so if that were the case, we'd probably see a lot of Ephesian letters and you'd actually probably see a lot of fill in the blanks with different cities, different locations. Um, some argue that it was just a mistake but Paul doesn't make a lot of mistakes some argue that it was meant to be received to 
wherever you are. And I think that's the most likely is just saying to the church at wherever you are, um, wherever you are, blank. And so it's interesting that it was coined for Ephesus. And the reason it was and the reason it's believed and, and translated as Ephesus and believed to be Ephesus is because it was blank, which bothered a lot of the original translators. Um, and then it came from Ephesus. It, it, it was widely known, widely moved around um, Ephesus. It, 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 was, it was a book um, or a letter and it was in Ephesus and that's where it started and that's where it was founded and that's where the majority of the understanding came from. And so when they call it Ephesians and when they say Ephesus, it's actually based on that, not because it actually says Ephesus, which is very interesting. Um, and I actually like to apply that more to today and say um, to the saints who are in Ogden, Utah, right? We can take that. Uh, I, I believe we can take that and say, you know, this was to Ephesus, but he actually left it blank because I personally believe Paul was writing it to whoever's willing to listen. This is what I want you to know. So to who, whomever is willing to read this, enjoy this. So I, I think that's cool. And it says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his introduction. Very common in most all of his writings, his letters, his epistles. Uh, that word faithful is what I want to key in on. Um, and so last week we talked about faith and we talked about uh, pistis, which is uh, the word we studied last week. And that, that word appears so many times in the New Testament. But this word here, faithful, um, is actually the word pistos. And so it's, it's a different word, very similar, but different. And so this isn't saying of faith or without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is a different faith. It's, it's similar. Um, but pistos, the word here, and are faithful in Christ Jesus is actually... Um, essentially persuaded to be reliable, persuaded to be faithful, persuaded to be trustworthy, persuaded to be of good um, intent, of good um, history. And so it's more of a proven faith, right? And so that's why it's translated as faithful. I just think it's interesting to look at these words in their original context in the original Greek language, because our human language doesn't always do the best um, justification of the original Greek language and what was meant. And so when you look at even the word faith, we, we translate the word faith everywhere, but really you look at that word and, and you could you could write what that word means in an entire sentence. So every time you look at the word faith in the New Testament, you could read, this is what it means, right? And so you could do that same thing with faithful. Um, it appears a lot in the New Testament as well. I didn't get the number for you, but it appears a lot as well. And essentially it means persuaded to be reliable. And so um, he says to the saints who are in, who are persuaded to be reliable, who are persuaded to be trustworthy and persuaded by, persuaded to is that same root from the word faith, pistis, which essentially means uh, a gift given to be, to be able to. And so when you look at uh, the active faith, and so this is a passive faith um, is more like pistis, like I received it, I got it, I have it. But an active faith is more saying, I was, I was given the opportunity to show that I'm trustworthy with this information, to show that I, I am a good steward of what God has revealed to me, uh, good to honor what God has spoken to me. I'm faithful. I'm steadfast. I am, uh, you know, and I, I refer back to that word steward because when you do a study on the word steward, um, it's a pretty powerful word. And so that's what I think of when I see the word faithful is 
you know, are we reliable? Are we trustworthy? Do we have a proven faith? And so I know that sounds pretty similar to faithful, but I just found it so important to say to the saints who are in wherever you are, blank, and are faithful, uh, reliable, trustworthy, good stewards in Jesus Christ, you've been proven to be faithful. Um, that's who he's writing to. And so that is that is actually kind of all I had for you guys today. I know that's more short than we probably planned on. Um, but I really wanted to get into the context, the history of this book. I think this, the thing that I loved the most or things that I would take from this is um, theology um, set to, what was that quote? Theology set to, I'm going to forget it already, doctrine set to music, pure music. Um, this letter is pure music. And I do believe that. I do agree with that. When you read this book by your own um, unction, it, it's... It's beautiful, it's eloquent, it's a wonderful book, but I think it's important to know the history of it, the context of it, and then as we get into it, you're going to see that we're, we're going to get into some nitpicky things and some theology that Paul wanted us to know that maybe we don't even know today, and it's very easy to read the book of Ephesians with your prior framework, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to challenge you verse by verse to think in a more complete way. Now that doesn't mean I'm gonna decide how you think or what you interpret or how you interpret it. I'm gonna tell you here are the options and here's what I lean toward, but I'm not gonna tell you how to think or what to think. I'm gonna tell you study it for yourself. And so we're gonna study this book together and we're gonna go through it expositionally and there's going to be rhema application each time we open the word of God. Uh, it's, it's inevitable. And so there's going to be things that stick out to you, things that apply to you, things that move you, motivate you, and hopefully compel you to uh, continue glorifying God in your walk and your in your life with Christ. And so I'm very excited for this book. I'm very excited for Ephesians. Uh, this 40 minute mark where we're at now is about what I'm hoping to stay at uh, in the future. And so that's why we could only get into the introduction and not the entire book or the entire first chapter. Next week, we'll probably uh, get into, if I had to guess, five or six verses, hopefully a little more. Just depends. It depends. And so next week, we are going to continue our, our study of Ephesians. I appreciate all of you guys for listening. Uh, this will be put on podcast and Spotify, hopefully later tonight. And uh, that's all I have for you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer and we'll, uh, we'll dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to get into your word and uh, know the history, understand the history of uh, Ephesians and Ephesus and Paul's writing and the Pauline um, language. And God, I'm, I'm so excited to go through the book of Ephesians written by Paul um, for us today, God. I believe this is a letter is living and active and, and we can apply it to our current context at all times, God. I'm so excited to open the Bible with uh, with my friends and family, God, with my people that I, I consider closest, um, closer to me than most anyone. God, I, I just thank you for my church family, God. They mean the world to me and I just pray you bless them today. Keep them safe. Um, for those that are not sick, keep them not sick, God. And for those that are sick, I pray they recover and can get out of quarantine, God. And I just, I thank you that you can be still glorified um, while I'm sitting in my kitchen. I, I just pray that this uh, word today, you gave each and every person listening a rhema word, um, a rhema, uh, something that just really ministered to them or got them excited for the future of this book of Ephesians, uh, of studying this, God. I just thank you. I praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. As always, thanks for checking us out. We hope to see you next week. God bless.